Welcome to the Fuck Saving Face podcast, where we're empowering mental and emotional health for Asian Americans and beyond by breaking through taboo topics. Life may not always be pretty, but it is indeed beautiful. Let's make your story beautiful today. Who's been following crypto? If you're like me, then perhaps you got involved in the markets this last year, and I got involved as it was still a bull run, and now it's moving into the bear markets, and everything, you know, has been crashing. Not only that, but I was also investing some of my money and staking it in Celsius, which is currently in this hullabaloo of not allowing people to withdraw their money. And so that whole adage that has been going around from quite some time about how you should not invest more money than you're willing to lose, I am now faced with that reality of it. And what's been really interesting for me is that over the last few years since my divorce and getting back and rebuilding, I've just been hyper-focused on building financial health. And I really wish that people would talk more about this, that they would talk more about, you know, the way our systems are, how money actually works, how fiat currency, you know, we've been thinking that this whole time, anything that's FDI insured, FDIC insured is safe is you know, potentially not because if you're invested in the traditional markets or even if you're invested in highly risky assets like crypto, you really got to understand where your unique situation is. So this season, the rest of the season, I have a few exceptional guests that are really focused on each of these topics. One of them is Eric, who we're going to be diving into crypto and NFTs today. One of them is Shang. She's an influencer on Instagram and, you know, has been talking about um, that really frugal lifestyle to achieve fire, financial independence, retire early. She's part of that movement. So she's now in her 30s with seven figures of net worth. That's another approach. And then, you know, uh, we have another guest, Mary, who talks about the money mindset. And especially if you've come from immigrant parents or Asian parents, for that matter, um, that all of us are wired with different stories, different beliefs. And one of my favorite things that I've heard about recently is that how your story began is not how it is meant to end, that you have and are empowered to create a new and different reality for yourself. Over the weekend, I finally got back into the water, started surfing again. It's been months and months and months. And while I was sitting on the beach, I felt compelled to write. So even though I have a content marketing agency, even though you know I'm constantly involved in content strategy and all of these things for different clients, me actually writing creatively for myself has kind of been put on the back burner. So I'm bringing it back to the forefront. And I wanted to share this post that I wrote specifically about money, about the trajectory of our lives about resiliency and how, you know, one of my superpowers has always been that I'm willing to be transparent and I'm willing to be honest. I feel like there's so much shame and stigma. That's the whole reason that I started this podcast was to remove that. So people would feel less alone. And I have to say that, you know, as an entrepreneur, a lot of people don't share about their missteps and their mistakes and their failures until they've made it to the other side, because there's just still so much feeling attached to it our worthiness based on the results that we create. So I also wanted to say that I applied for UC Berkeley, go bears. That's my alma mater. Um, 
the intellectual humility grant. I was asking for money to support this podcast. And unfortunately, I found out that I didn't get it. And it was really kind of a blow because I was hoping that doing purposeful work, highlighting stories that needed to be shared, really amplifying voices that need to be heard, that it would be supported and seen in some way. So whether or not the format of this podcast or whatever, all of the, they said they got two and a half times more applications than they normally do. So the competitiveness, you know, it's Berkeley. I know how competitive it can be there. And I'm really happy for all of the people who did win. We don't, I didn't find out about any of those details. I just found out that we didn't get our grant. So it caused me to reevaluate whether or not I want to continue investing my time and my energy into building the podcast because what I initially came to it as, you know, we're now in season three. I even have episodes banked for season four. I'm just being fully transparent that in this long-term game, in the marathon of achieving different goals, it's not the highlight reel. It is all of the daily actions that we take that then become macro movements, that macro results. And because I'm often interested in multiple different things, it's been hard to figure out where should I invest my time and energy, especially because I have a daughter who I am also raising, you know, and I'm raising her over this last month. I had her three weeks out of the month because her dad was on vacation. And so because of that, you know, I was single parenting and it really plays into my level of productivity. It also is because I'm a divorced parent, I really want to make the most of the time that I have with her. So I am a hundred and 50% applying myself when I'm with her. And so it's just a reminder that everybody is approaching things from different circumstances, that we are not all just one size fits all, that our lives at different stages, um, at different, you know, pursuits are going to be different. So to keep comparing ourselves to someone else, I don't know if for you, you've ever felt like, that's not really ever put you on top. <laughs> I feel like that competition has always just made me feel worse about myself, even if what other people tell me and how they perceive me is different than how I view myself. So I wanted to share this Instagram post with you, and then we will dive in to introducing who Eric is, our guest on this episode, and playing around a little bit more with kind of different formats for the podcast. I've really loved, I mean, I listen to podcasts all day, every day. A friend of mine recently said, how do you absorb this much information? And my partner said, well, she's like always listening to things like any single second, washing the dishes, you know, doing chores, driving anywhere. Even I adopted this ability when I was living in China and working as an editor of a magazine to be able to kind of truly multitask with like something playing in my ears while I'm writing. It really freaks people out. And I don't actually know, you know, how my brain does it. And sometimes I do need to shut off all the distractions to focus. But because I can do that, I can acquire all this information. So I've been listening to a lot of different podcasts and a lot of different styles and really loving them. And even thinking about offshoots of this podcast or a different angle to take with it where my daughter loves stories. We read all the time, but a lot of the stories that we read, she's not clearly accurately represented in them. And why not have her be the heroine? And why not have our own version of goodnight stories for rebel girls, specifically focused on the Asian American audience or of the magic Treehouse series that she loves. And then having her or a character like her be the heroine and then making that into a podcast. So I have all these ideas that I would like to try out and also 
you know, not to confuse my audience in any way, but to also understand that I, like so many other people, are multi-passionate entrepreneurs and we're all figuring it out as we go. I have to also say that my partner is very much the opposite end. He, you know, works in public school administration and with my friends who are teachers, there's a clear path towards tenure, towards pension, towards all of these things. And I love that he is built for that career. It brings him a lot of joy. He refers to himself as a community servant, as a public servant. And, you know, I see firsthand from, um, just seeing how the community responds to him in the role that he has. And I think it's wonderful. So when I brought up that I and so many other people and so many things I've read and listened to are saying that we don't know what it is that we're doing. We're just figuring it out as we go. Even if other people see us on the outside as though we do know, we actually don't. And I brought that up in conversation with him. He's like, huh, I don't know if that's true for everyone. And so it's been so fascinating to see someone who is very different from me in that regard and how there are parts of me that wish that I were built like that for a world that is built for, I think, a different way than the way that I show up. So I am doing my best at all times to kind of merge who I want to be, who I am at my heart, my core, my nature, with also where the world is now, you know, meeting people where they are and then helping to move the world forward into one that is truly more diverse, more inclusive, um, more understanding and more accepting. So hopefully this podcast and future iterations and wherever I move in my life is something that is resonant. As I always used to teach in yoga, if it fits, great, keep it. If it doesn't fit, then just let it float on by, you know. So here is the Instagram post that I wrote. I posted a photo of me at the beach with this sports bra that I had bought um, a while back. And so here's what I wrote along with the image. Lately, I've been looking up memoirs about people who have failed and are willing to share about it because most people don't share those truths until they've quote unquote made it since the guilt and shame of failures are too fresh until they're not. I bought this black sports bra when I first got back from Taiwan. A few weeks earlier, I arrived in the U.S. with a suitcase of our clothes, a suitcase of her toys and essentials, and less than $150 in my bank account. I was terrified. I needed the sports bra, but weighed that decision, seeing it as a luxury versus feeding my daughter and the divorce I had to pursue. It's taken me over three years to get to a place of mental, emotional, and physical health. I'm not yet ready to talk about it all because I'm not at a point in my life where I feel I'm far enough from it, even though I've shared about what unfolded in Hawaii, to Texas, to Taiwan, to San Diego, privately with friends who recently reached out to say how inspiring I was at pivotal points in their lives. There are certain possessions I won't keep for the memories they hold, and there are others I will keep to humbly remind myself where I came from. Because this last year, I owed $50,000 in taxes to the IRS in the state of California. The year before that, I paid off $40,000 of debt accrued from my marriage. I just met with my accountant for projected taxes for 2022. He joked that it must suck every time we meet. But the fact that I now owe this much money is remarkable. That I've had money to risk in crypto and potentially lose. I don't own a house yet. I drive a 2011 Prius, and frankly, I wish that more people talked about the ups and downs of money, investments, bad decisions, unexpected wins from financial losses or from initial losses, and how money is just one of the fundamental aspects of our lives. 
I have taken my daughter to Utah on a road trip to Arizona, and I pay for her health care, private school tuition, and jujitsu. I have no debt. I published a book. I have a great podcast. I have ocean views from my desk and work with clients making a difference in the world. I am in love. I have health and an awesome community. I'm blessed. Some people have so much more. A lot of people have so much less. I think of all that when I wear this top. I got a few really great comments from people in my network who I haven't heard from in a while and just sharing that they've always appreciated my transparency and my honesty and also my ability to balance that out with the private processing so that it's not all in a public forum. And I think that that introduction is very relevant to the guests that I have now. Eric is a serial entrepreneur who's founded and exited businesses in the automotive, retail, insurance, and tax industries. With 10 years in the tax world and five in the financial planning world, he's passionate about financial education and helping entrepreneurs scale to create a greater impact on the world. Eric is also passionate about fostering communities and connecting people. He enjoys building community in masterminds and his own monthly dinners. And if you're in the Southern California area, you can follow him and find the dinners that he hosts um, now that we are you know, much more back in person. And he's been talking a lot about NFTs, crypto, and taxes in this space. It's, it's a very new terrain. Outside of a professional context, he's a single father to a sassy teenager and enjoys camping, riding bikes, and exploring the outdoors with his son. So I hope that you get a lot out of this. We recorded this a while back. And so if, if you're not in the crypto industry, almost this feeling of all day, every day, keeping up with everything. It's just moving so, so quickly. But I think that a lot of the things that he shares are still very relevant. And just hearing about his experience as an Asian American man, he's also, as I mentioned, a single parent. And just all of these things to get him to where he is now, you can go to his website, thecashflowdoctor.com to learn more about him and see what he's up to. He's been speaking at a lot of these huge crypto events recently um, all around the country. And I just invite you to, again, take what works for you, what fits, what resonates. Be critical, be uh, evaluative. Um, it's one of the skills that I didn't really learn growing up is how to have critical thinking, how to just not think that anybody in authority is right, for example. And for all of the things that are happening in the world right now with Roe versus Wade and just the seemingly great backslide as the term has been used, it's now more important than ever to be able to apply critical thinking. And especially in my own experience with crypto and my investments and the potential rewards and losses, I am much more cognizant of how vital it is to ask the questions, to do your homework. I'm going to say it here because it was said to me, but I did homework, I thought, and yet didn't dive deep enough, you know, didn't like see all the opposing views as much as the aligned views. So I really want to encourage you to do that and just enjoy this episode. We are actually just, as I mentioned, playing around. We're going to cut this episode in two and just make it a little bit shorter and a little bit more palatable so that you can take all of this in. Um, I got to say the crypto and the NFT space, all of that's just so much the expression of like drinking from a fire hose so much very much like that and so I want you to have the time to take it in to digest a bit and then to move forward with listening to the other half of the episode and then we'll continue to move flow and organically evolve this podcast 
Also, if you do want to support the podcast, I would love to hear from you. I would love to hear what you've liked, what you would like more of, what you would like to see less of. Um, I would like to know that if it's made any sort of impact or difference in your life, that um, you know, you'll share it with me and let me know. I am a person at the other end of this, and it really is meaningful to me to get feedback. And of course, if you want to make any financial donations to support listen to the end of the podcast and you can do it that way. And as always, just thank you so much. I hope that you are well during this time and that we are all working together to move the world forward. All right. I'm so excited for today's guest for the Fuck Saving Face podcast. We are now in season three, which is remarkable. Uh, And also, you know, with the way that the world is moving and the things that I've personally been interested in, I'm really excited to have Eric here today because we will be diving into NFTs, into crypto, entrepreneurialism, you know, being a parent, being Asian American, all of that good stuff. But I'm going to turn it over to Eric, who, by the way, when I asked, how would you like to be introduced, said, uh, I kind of am a wanderer, <laughs> I'm like a jack of all trades and a master of none, which I used to have a lot of guilt around until I realized that that actually is one of the things that makes people super interesting mm-hmm. and so successful is when you have a constant curiosity that you're always willing to learn and expand that you, yeah. because in business for so many of us, we were taught you're supposed to niche down and be a specialist and like all of this kind of stuff. And some of us are just not built that way. So, you know, whether it's your human design, your genetic makeup, your life preference, whatever it is, um, I fully encourage people to live kind of the way that you've been living or the way that I've been living, if it fits you, um, which is just to keep seeing what happens. So before we got on this interview, I was talking to Eric and he was sharing a story about four years ago, his life, you know, did not look the way that it looked now. And I was sharing a similar story that two years ago, <laughs> my life did not look the way that it does now. Right. And, um, you know, to have people outside of us kind of bouncing off those realities and saying, um, hey, do you remember <laughs> before this is where you were? And I think the pace at which life is moving now is so fast that it's, um, it's easy to get lost in that and to not take a moment to reflect. Um, so before I you know, talk anymore. I'm going to turn it over to Eric to share a bit about his story. Uh, I mean, that's kind of like a loaded question in terms of like, whatever our stories and like, what I've kind of find is I love how you like, kind of like summed it all up, right? Like they, I have this like notion of like, I'm wandering the world and also the fact of like being a a jack of all trades. The quote is like beautiful. It's like a jack of all trades is a master of none, but it's better to be a jack of all trades than just a master of one. Mm -hmm. And then when I heard that quote, I was like, you know, that's actually really interesting. Because for me, for a long time, I've always felt like, and not clinically diagnosed, but I always felt like I had like some sort of ADHD Mm -hmm. where I'm always looking at different things and like, I'm just absorbing, learning and just eternally curious. And so like my whole life has just been revolving around this whole thing of like, okay, what is really cool? What I really want to do? What do I enjoy doing? And how do I take advantage of it? Like I've, I'm not the kind of person that is really good at like ordering one book from Amazon, <laughs> opening the book up in Amazon, finishing it, completing it, and then ordering a next book. Like I would order three or four books at a time. I'd be reading three or four books at a time. <clears throat> Two or three of them might be totally incomplete in terms of my reading. And then project, same thing. Like I have, I 
I actually have to have assistants to help me make sure that I complete projects for clients and stuff because I tend to like always be looking at what's new, what's innovative and like what, what sparks my curiosity. And like, that's kind of like what I've kind of like built my life upon. And like, if you're like, Eric, tell me about your story. Um, it's kind of like a, a conversation that we would have to have over a bottle of wine over a couple of hours. <laughs> and like, I think that's, I think that's the same for, for many of us, right? Yeah. Many of us that are listening to this podcast or listening to this interview or, or, or out there, the only challenge is, is some of us may pigeonhole ourselves into a certain title because that's what society has given to us. But the reality is like, I think at least for many folks like you and I, like we are dynamic individuals, dynamic mm-hmm. human beings that want to explore new things and try new things and, and, and see new things and learn new things. Um, and for me to put like a title on myself of like, this is who I am. I think would be like a very shortcoming of like everything mm-hmm. that, that I've accomplished all my failures, all my successes, all the times I fell on my face, all the times I'm like, this is freaking awesome. Like, <laughs> um, like I, I, I don't even know how to like really sum it up other than like, you know, I'm a <clears throat> child of Vietnamese refugees that came over from the Vietnam, um, the Vietnam war when Saigon fell, came from literally nothing. And the typical Asian American story is you got to be a doctor, dentist, pharmacist, attorney kind of thing. I did none of those. I ended up being an entrepreneur um, and I've started businesses since I was 16, 42 now, like all different kinds of businesses, all different kinds of things. I finally came to terms with the fact that like, I'm never gonna, never is not the great, not the best word, but I'm not going to be the the shining image of the Asian American model of success Mm. that my parents have wanted in terms of like the comparison of my kids, a doctor or my, my son has a title. I finally come to terms with that. And, uh, you know, I'm super happy with like where I'm at right now. Um, single parent, I got a 18 year old son. So I'm in a really interesting transition point in my life where I used to revolve my life around like this parenting aspect. And now he's a young man, a young adult. And now I'm like, shoot, what do I want to do <laughs> with my life now? Where do I want to take things? So it's like, I think just with, with life, it's like, we're walking up the stairs, like one foot at a time. And every time you get to a new stair, you're a different elevation of the room. And you're like, whoa, this looks different. I want to do something mm-hmm. different. Right. So that's just from where I I'm kind of am with my journey, just exploring and and just you know, having a good old time. Tell me about the cash flow doctor. Mm, cash flow doctor. So <clears throat> I run a full stack accounting company. Um, and we focus on helping clients with their finances and we act as fractional CFOs. And we mostly focus on web three and NFT project founders. Um, I actually started the business like 13 years ago and it was, I got into the tax business because my dad was like, Hey, you should learn about taxes. And so I got into the tax business um, and, and just kind of like grew that business over over the last 13 years. And 13 years sounds like a long time for a person with ADD. And that I think about. <laughs> that is a long time. But like the cash flow doctor's actually name that came about a couple of years ago when I was helping out a client, because like my official name is Dynamic Tax. And mm-hmm. she's like, Oh, Eric, you're you're like you saved me, like you're you're like a doctor to me in terms of our finances. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you know, we should call you, we should call you the cash flow doctor. So I still remember like 
she giving me this title, the cash flow doctor. And I was like, you know what? My dad has always been like, Eric, why don't you go back to school, get your doctorate or become a medical doctor? I called him up that day and I was like, Dad, yeah, you finally have a doctor in the household. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, I'm the cash flow doctor. He's like, what does that even mean? I was like, well, you know, I help clients with their, their cash flow. And I, you know, I, I cure their their disease of bad financial habits and stuff. He's like, that doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that you were reframing the story and, you know, giving him a call about that. That's hilarious. Um, well, and the clients that you focus on now, I think this is a great segue into one of the reasons that I reached out to you. You and I met because we were both on a founder Institute call. We were kind of um, providing feedback for all of these entrepreneurs at different phases of business and all the mentors had different areas of expertise. And so one of the things that you had mentioned in your introduction or in how you were introduced was that you're big into the NFT space and into the crypto game. So that right now for me, I think is so interesting because, um, you know, traditional finance. So I'm amazed that you or your dad's all learn about taxes and you're like, okay, because my brain would have been like, oh my God, (laughs) what are we talking about here? (laughs) No. Um, So, you know, the traditional finance and learning about that and watching my parents like, you know, really struggle with managing their finances as immigrant entrepreneurs and all that kind of stuff. I had such a fear around that debt, um, around, you know, whatever. I just like went the other end of the spectrum and was so anal about like checkbooks and like all that kind of stuff. But that was like a limited way, I think, of healing from what I saw, because I didn't even know to ask the questions of where can you invest money? What does money actually do for you? Like, you know, um, how can you cultivate wealth or, you know, choose where you spend your money that it's going to be invested in causes or companies that you actually believe in? Those are not anything that I even knew about. And as I started to learn and grow in my own evolution, I started realizing there's this whole area of like financial health that I didn't understand. So speaking of cash flow doctor. <laughs> and so, you know, like I started trying to learn about it, reading all the traditional books. And it was just an overwhelm of information that was just like, my brain doesn't, my brain likes stories. My brain likes passionate causes. My brain likes, you know, innovation. It doesn't like, like, you know, this, the left math side of things. Mm. But once I discovered crypto, for some reason, that seemed to be like a different entry point for me to understand all of these other, you know, pillars of the financial institutions and all that kind of stuff in a way that I actually cared about. And that was meaningful to me because I was coming at it through innovation, through um, decentralizing money so that more people who are marginalized have opportunities to create real change in their lives. And so I think because of that, it became a whole different uh, way, a different doorway to get into all of these other things. So yeah. I would love to hear in your words, you know, what you feel that crypto is, and then we can dive more specifically, you know, crypto and web three, like, how has it been? How has your experience of it been? What drew you to it? Yeah. So I, I love your story of it, right? Like how it, it made the whole finance world more approachable. What, what I think it's really interesting about cryptocurrency and then more relevant now that what we call Web3 or the NFT space is this concept of decentralized finance. So right now, the traditional way of the way that money is handled in the world is it's all controlled typically by a central bank, which is you know the US Federal Reserve or what have you. They determine mon- monetary flow, monetary action, and then the government determines stimulus and tax and all that stuff. <clears throat> so it's all centralized. So traditionally, many of us feel a little bit powerless. We're kind of just a cog in this capitalistic system. 
and we work really hard and we do our thing and, and hopefully somebody rewards us and we get paid and, you know, eventually we were all set. But for, for years, and especially as, as COVID started hitting two years ago, a lot of folks started looking at their lives. They started looking at their incomes and started looking at what they've been receiving in terms of wages. And they're like, you know, this doesn't make any sense or they become disenfranchised by the system. So cryptocurrency is really interesting because the, the essence of it is it's decentralized and it's transparent, meaning there's no central person that's controlling this asset, whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum, right? It's decentralized. It's this ledger is spread amongst computers or miners all across the world. On top of that as well, like you have this, this notion of like, it's, it's owned by everybody, right? So you have like this almost community feel to it. So cryptocurrency is really interesting in the way that it operates. And then you have like two different kinds of layers. You have the Bitcoin layer, which a lot of people are familiar with. The Bitcoin layer is almost like the, not currency layer, but a store of value in a way. And then Ethereum is kind of like the underlying technology that makes the entire network work. <clears throat> so it's really fascinating on that one perspective. So when I first looked at cryptocurrency, I came in, as many people initially do, I came in from a perspective of like, hey, this is maybe my opportunity to make some additional money, or this is my way of economically getting to a better place for me and my family. And a lot of folks, they initially get into cryptocurrency because of that. Sure, there's a lot of folks that, that initially get into it more because they look at the decentralization, but the reality is markets move because a lot of folks are getting into it because they want to make money, whether it's trading stocks or trading collectibles or something like that. So when I first got into it, I was like, okay, I'm going to make some money on this. And, you know, this is back in 2017, I was buying and selling different coins. You know, at one point, my son and I, we built a mining rig where we're mining Ethereum to really just really get a handle on understanding of the space. And it did really well with that. And then in 2017, for those of you who are cryptocurrency investors, lost it all. Like that was the big, like run up. That December and then that January, the market had plummeted and I just rode it all the way to the bottom because I was wag me, right? We were all going to make it. I was hyper bullish on it. And then I was just sitting there like thinking like, crap, I got to go back to work now. <clears throat> so I put that all away. And in that, those couple of years, this, the process and everything was still building. Like people are building the technology, the layers that revolved around cryptocurrency. And, you know, I like to say that I was one of the OGs in the space, but there's obviously a lot of folks that have invested prior to that. And then so about two years ago when COVID hit, um, my son and I, we just got back from traveling and living in Bali and, and going cross country, went back to, you know, got back to Southern California, went back to work. And then my buddy texted me, says, hey, Eric, do you still have some Ethereum? I was like, yeah, I have it in my cold wallet, my treasure. I haven't opened that thing up in, in years. He's like, you better log in and see what's going on. And I noticed that Ethereum, the price was, was up. And I was like, I'm back. I got my money back, <laughs> right? So at this point in time, like I've kind of moved away from like, okay, I'm just purely in it for the monetary part of it. And now I'm like, okay, I'm really curious about the technology. What's been built over these last couple of years? You know, so I started looking to other different coins and what we call cross chains or layer two solutions. These are things that make the cryptocurrency world more usable for average everyday users, either faster transactions or lower fees and, and what have you. And it, what started happening was in the December of last year or December of actually 2020, um, 
And then 2021 was a really interesting transition point for the NFT space or what they call non-fungible tokens. So what had happened was prior to that, cryptocurrency market went up and down and then the, the, everyone got into trading stocks because of GameStop and AMC. And then when that started slowing down, people were looking for what is the next big wave? People started looking to NFTs. And what was really interesting at the time was I was introduced to NFTs through <clears throat> through a mutual friend. And I started looking into it and I was like, oh, these are kind of cool. But I didn't really totally understand it until I bought my first one. And this is why I like telling folks, you know, I host like NFT meetups in San Diego and Orange County. I always tell folks, you know, if you don't understand NFTs, if you don't understand crypto, it's totally cool. Don't feel like you're being left out. But I highly invite you and I highly recommend at least buying one piece, buy an NFT or buy a little piece of Bitcoin, whether it's a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks, buy a little bit of Ethereum and just have it in your wallet and look at it and be like, I'm in the space. And that's going to compel you to start looking deeper into it. So I bought my first NFT and I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. And I started looking more. I started spending more time on Discord. I started spending more time on Twitter when I used to be a big Facebook person, I rarely go on Facebook now because everything's on Twitter. And then I started buying another one. And then uh, for me, I run, you know, I'm in the tax business. So tax season ended April 15th of 2021. So this is fairly new. And I, I ended up buying, I was like, let me treat myself out to something completely ridiculous. So I bought myself a leopard print JPEG of an ape, which was from a company called Board Ape Yacht Club. And at the time, I paid a half an ETH for this one. So that was about 1600 bucks. And like, for me, I was like, this is the most ridiculous thing ever. I'm buying a JPEG of $1,600, but it's cool, whatever. I kind of get the NFT thing. I put it in my wallet, went back to work, kept doing my thing, you know, buying and selling and trading like little NFTs here and there. But, and I started seeing offers come in for my board Ape Yacht Club of 20 ETH. 30 ETH. Oh, and this is, this is real money, right? Yeah. Real money. If, and you know, if, if you say ETH was 3000 bucks at the time, 30 ETH is $90,000, which is serious money going from like 1600 bucks, to 90,000 bucks. And I still remember I put up on Facebook. I was like, guys, I'm getting these offers on my JPEG. What should I do? You know, just out of curiosity and people are like, I'll oh, sell. It's a bubble. It's a scam. And I was like, I don't know. I think there's more to it than this. And I started really understanding more about the metaverse. And I really started studying more and NFTs are really a really interesting parallel to how society works, right? Like people use NFTs just like we use luxury goods, like a Rolex or Ferrari or whatever. It's a social signaling piece or it's a status piece where you could say, Hey, I'm part of an exclusive club. This is, you know, my membership to this club. So that's, that's how I look at NFTs. It's like a gateway to a club or as a saddling uh, status symbol. Anyway, I was telling my son about it because my son's big into crypto too. He day trades and stuff like that. And he's like, dad, that's pretty hilarious. Um, you know, maybe uh, you should put up for some crazy price and see what happens. So I put up for 50 ETH, which at the time, 50 times 3,000 bucks is like $150,000. I was like, this is, this is crazy. I'm just going to put it up for like shits and giggles and, you know, just joke with my friends about it and went to sleep. Next morning, as many of you will find out or are in the NFT world, like the things that you typically do when you wake up is you look at your OpenSea <laughs> account, you look at Discord to see what's being updated, you go on Twitter. I woke up, I looked at my OpenSea account and my ape was gone. And I was like, oh my God, did somebody hack me? What happened? Because there's a lot of people that do get hacked. So you have yeah. to be careful. You have to be safe in the space. 
And then, so I looked at my wallet and there's 50 more ETH in it. I was like, wait a second, this thing sold. And then, so I, when I went to take a look at who bought it, I was like, where did this go? Who bought this thing? It was the chain smokers. Mm. <clears throat> so the chain smokers for, for those of you who may not be aware is a pretty popular uh, EDM DJ group. Yeah. And I was like, nah, this, this couldn't be. So I ended up going on Twitter and I DM the chain smokers. And I said, hey, you know, I don't know if this is you guys, but I just want to let you know, you guys bought the leopard print ape of mine, changed my life. Thank you so much. They responded back saying, yeah, we bought it from you. We got some questions though. And to this day, we have, we've been having really good conversation and then I'm advising them on some of the projects. And That's so amazing. I've been in the NFT space for quite a while. I've just been buying, flipping, trading. It's created a lot of abundance for me, for me and my son. And what I find really interesting is two pieces. <coughs> There's this like really interesting business economic proposition on the NFT side thing of, of things for entrepreneurs. But there's also this like really interesting abundance piece to it, which is maybe really question the capitalistic system as it is right now. If I am going out right now, <clears throat> not buying, selling, and trading JPEGs, and I'm making more in this, this effort of buying, selling, and trading JPEGs than I am in my traditional line of work, like what, what really is money, right? What really is this context of finance in the way that we thought it was like, and I've been a financial planner for six years and then I've been in the tax world for 13 years. Like you would think that I know about money, right? Like Eric knows about money. He's been a financial planner. He's been in the tax world. This year has really made me question what is money, right? Mm -hmm. It's really made me question what is abundance, but it's also made me reframe my idea of like how things can be done. <clears throat> how can we help empower other artists, how can we help empower other businesses to really change the way dynamically that they do things to provide more abundance for them and also provide more value for the communities. And that's what's really making me really excited about this space and why like, like I try to go to as many events as I can. I speak as, at as many events as I can and I've pivoted my entire business to just focusing on doing financial support, accounting, CFO work for Web3 businesses because I just love the space, but it's, it's crazy. Okay, stay tuned for part two of this episode. Want to support this podcast? You can do so in crypto. If you'd like to send your dollars, aka fiat currency, to me via the Cash App, which uses a super fast lightning network, I can convert it into Bitcoin. You can find me on the Cash App by typing in dollar sign Judy Tsui. That's T-S-U-E-I. But if you'd actually like to send me direct cryptocurrencies, email me at hello at fucksavingface.com and we can exchange crypto wallet addresses. More ways you can support the podcast are by sharing this with your friends, family, anybody you think might enjoy this. And remember to go get your copy of the Little Book of Tibetan Rites and Rituals at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Audible, or wherever you like to get your books. Make your story beautiful today.